0: hello and welcome to the new model advisor podcast joining me today to talk about active management is our very own dan groat former new model advisor editor as well as uh, hi dan uh, as well as uh funds insider guru on everything investment um so we dan let's start by talking about what's happening in markets at the moment
1: yeah well i mean obviously markets sold off very sharply um as the kind of coronavirus pandemic developed and uh, particularly when uh you know economies all around the world uh went into lockdown um uh, company revenues dried up um and we saw you know one of the sharpest sell offs uh, in history um and really markets turned Uh, a little bit of a corner. Um, uh, We don't know whether that's going to be a long-term thing or whether this is a a bear market rally. But since the middle of March, um, markets have been recovering, uh, particularly in the US, um, and that's been driven uh, by uh, stimulus, both from central banks uh, and from governments. Uh, And in the US in particular, it's been driven by um, the uh, astonishing performance, really, of... um, you know, what are called the FANG stocks, um, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, um, Google, which is known as Alphabet Alphabet um, on the stock market. Um, uh, You know, Amazon in particular has hit sort of new uh, all-time highs um, because it's one of the few companies that can really thrive um, in this environment when when everyone's stuck at home.
0: It really suits its uh, business model um but is this you, you said there's some sort of questions about whether it's you know, the, the, a long term recovery or not i mean what's what's the general consensus at the moment because i've heard managers say and more, more widely economists say that It seems unlikely this recovery is necessarily going to last into the long run.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and I've heard the the, the same sort of stuff um, from uh, fund managers, uh, but also just from, um, you know, the the, the retail investors that that make up our readership. Uh, If you look at the comments Mm. underneath the the daily market reports, um, there's just a widespread kind of astonishment, really, that um, stock markets aren't further down than they are. And I guess everyone's looking towards um, you know, the stock market response to the financial crisis because that's the most um, kind of recent crash before this yeah. one that we have to go on, um, when, you know markets broadly halved, uh, and we're nowhere near that um, uh, at the moment. Um, so it really, de- you know, where the market goes from here um, really depends on the uh, the length of uh, uh, of the shutdowns. Um, so. Um, we pretty much know that the global economy is going to go into uh, recession, uh, but it just depends how long that recession is, whether we get, uh, you know, a short, sharp V-shaped recovery uh, in, in global economies, um, whether it's a longer sort of drawn out U-shaped one. I mean, the one that um, I, I've seen a number of kind of fund managers um, s- sort of um, pin their flag to is, is is like a Nike swoosh kind of
0: recovery. Uh,
1: <laughs> Where you know we 've obviously had that collapse in um, global economic output, um, and then y- you 'd expect that to recover as economies come out of lockdown, but the recovery will be much longer than the drop was
0: yeah yeah that, that seems to be i mean it sound, sounds likely and it seems to be what a lots of people are saying at the moment. Um, I think before we sort of move on to a little bit more and talking about active and passive funds and how they performed in different sectors, I just wondered if we could talk quickly about the oil price as well, because that seems to be one of the big, uh, big stories at the moment in terms of markets and in terms of the economy.
1: I mean, it's, it's been extraordinary. Um, yeah. so, um, uh, so earlier this week, um, the oil price in the US fell into negative territory for the first time in history. Uh, traders were... Essentially paying buyers to take barrels of oil off their hands, um, now there are all kind of sorts of caveats uh, uh, around that, um, but it doesn 't sort of take away from you know this historic event that we've w- that we 've seen um, and broadly, what was happening was it, this these negative prices were concentrated in one area of the u s crude uh market um, this was West Texas Intermediate and it was specifically the May contract that fell into uh, negative prices. Um, why did that happen? Well, it was because the, uh, the contract was due to come up for expiry. Um, if you hold the contracts when the contract expires, that means you take delivery of oil barrels. Now, um, you know, a lot of investors in the oil markets, it's never their intention to actually take physical delivery of oil barrels. So what yeah. they do is they roll on the next month's contract. Um, that's normally a pretty straightforward thing to do, but it wasn't this time. Um, and, you know, wh- why wasn't it? Well, um, you look at the uh, collapse in demand for oil um, as global economies have gone into lockdown. Um, there's a huge oversupply. And then specifically in the US market, there's a big problem around containment. Um, so West Texas Intermediate oil, that gets piped. It's, it's, it's a sort of piped oil, unlike Brent uh, European crude, which is transported around in ships and so can be taken to places where there's, where there's more demand. Uh, West Texas Intermediate goes to a place called Cushing in Oklahoma, uh, where it's stored. And storage capacity um, in, in, in that location is, uh, is at, a, at a massive premium. Um, uh, it's, it's running out essentially. Mm. So you had traders, basically uh, uh, traders paying people to take on the barrels to compensate them for the costs that would be involved in having
0: to store it. It's amazing that how such sort of this whole crisis has exposed these systems actually, and how much the economy and the, therefore markets depend on stuff that's very much just in time and uh, not not designed for a big shock like this
1: absolutely and you know it's it's shone a light on areas of the stock market that maybe we haven't really thought about that much yeah i didn't really i didn't really know um when uh contracts were due for expiry on the all all markets i just look on the reuters terminal see what the near month contract was and think well that's that's the oil price um yes when you get events like this where there's a massive disparity between the price for a contract that's nearing its expiry and one um, where the expiry is, is, is a few months away where you, you, know, you, know, you notice these sorts of things because such extraordinary strain is being placed on um, on stock markets.
0: Yeah, it's, re- it's really quite fascinating and uh, in some ways worrying, but in some ways does at least show where the problem is. Um, mm-hmm. And so in general then, what has been the the impact on funds in the last a month or two since the pandemic measures were introduced
1: uh well bad as, as, yeah. as, as you expect um and you know broadly um you know, the shares shares are down a lot so funds that invest in shares are down a lot bonds aren't down by as much so the funds investing in them aren't down by as much uh, and particularly conservative areas of the bond market like government bonds uh, um, have held up much better and in some cases have rallied so funds investing there have done Done okay, um, but I guess when you break down that picture a little more, um, uh, you can see, uh, certainly in, the, in, in terms of funds that are investing in shares, there's a, a massive disparity between those that take a, a value approach, um, so that may have been led into kind of more cyclical areas of the economy, and shares in those sorts of companies could have been absolutely yeah. hammered, um, by uh, the coronavirus pandemic, um, so. You know, and those were the kind of funds that were doing badly in the run up to this crisis, and now they're doing even worse. Um, uh, and on the flip side of that, you have funds that uh, have been invested in, I guess, what critics call the expensive defensive, so consumer staples. Um, they've done relatively better um, uh, uh, as, as the uh, pandemic has sort of locked down economies because people are still brushing their teeth, they're using toothpaste, yeah. um, they're washing, they're using soap. Um, you know, if, if, if a particular company makes hand sanitizer, it's doing all right out of all this. Um, and then uh, beyond that, technology stocks, any fund that is invested heavily in, in technology stocks has, um, has done well. And I guess the most uh, obvious and famous example of that in the UK is Scottish Mortgage, the UK's biggest investment trust, the only investment mm-hmm. trust that lists is on the FTSE 100. And it's one of only nine stocks on the you know the uk blue chip index that is in positive territory this year uh, and that's you know thanks in no small part to its largest holding amazon which is um, which has been soaring
0: out of interest what's the other eight stocks can you remember
1: uh I, I off the top of my head no is the <laughs> short answer but i think i did have that and no i don't have it up <laughs> polymetal, no is, polymetal, polymetal is is the best performer i know that okay and the card okay is
0: Accardo, of course, doing very well at the moment, um, uh, and I guess looking at kind of the impact. I mean, what what has been? Have there been any sectors that have done well? Have, has anything kind of withheld, or is is it really just across the market, everything taking a hit?
1: Uh, well, technology, consumer staples, yeah. they've done well, uh, and if you look at areas that um, have done particularly badly, it's uh, you know it's what you'd expect, really. Um, so. Uh, on the UK stock market, it's the travel and leisure sector, um, in particular, that have been hammered. Um, mm. Airlines, for obvious reasons, have sold off massively. Uh, the hotel sector, uh, pub companies. Um, it, 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 I mean, it's if you look at the areas of the common uh, of the economy that have been hit the hardest by this lockdown. So uh, shops that have closed, um, bars and restaurants that can't bring in customers. Uh, you know it's the shares of the companies that are operating them uh, that have fallen the furthest.
0: And is this cycle kind of different then from normal because um, normally in a recession value stocks the logic goes should be doing a little bit better and that hasn't happened is that correct and I mean if so why has that happened this time?
1: Yeah I mean value stocks they did well certainly in the kind of recovery from uh, the the financial crisis Mm and value managers now will be hoping that a similar sort of situation replicates itself. Um, you know uh, if you look at uh, the funds that have done well uh, that aren't in those sort of value sectors uh, and that are in kind of consumer staples and, um, and technology so you know Fundsmith would be um, the prime example the UK's biggest fund. Um, uh, Terry Smith sort of in his kind of well, his only real sort of um, message to investors since the, the coronavirus pandemic has um, uh, taken its its full sort of toll on, on stock markets. You know, he's, you know, contrasted how he's done with the performance of, of, of value managers and, um, you know, reiterated the point that he's long been making that, uh, you know, if you're going into a recession or a time of stock market stress, then why would you expect companies that are hypersensitive to the uh performance of the global stock market um cyclical stocks as they as they're called why Mm. would you expect them to do better um and you know uh, and you know he contrasts that with the sorts of stocks that that he holds um where that are involved in uh the consumer staples sector so um, and technology, uh, so consumer staples, you know, the, the sort of stuff that we, that we buy every day uh, and still need to buy, even though we're not allowed outside of our homes, um, you know, they'll, they'll be more resilient. Um, uh, so, you know, it really has widened the disparity in performance between those kind of two extremes sort of um, manager positioning.
0: How have these? It, it's interesting. You mentioned Terry Smith because he's obviously one of the the biggest names now in fund management. And um, how have some of the other big names been doing? Have they been performing well, or has it have they taken a dip in the recent crisis?
1: Well, if you look at the, uh, you know, I guess the 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 three big names in fund management, um, certainly that you know readers are on our website uh, look to um, Terry Smith. Nick Train and uh, James Anderson, who runs uh, Scottish Mortgage, and their funds have done well. Um, mm. and, uh, you know, at the risk of just kind of repeating myself, it's, it's consumer staples and it's technology. Yeah. Um, uh, if you look at some of the uh, funds that, that, that are big, um, uh, but um, uh, but maybe don't have quite the same sort of, sort of a retail investor following, um, you know, some of the biggest funds in the UK are UK equity income funds, uh, whether they're in the UK equity income sector or whether, because they don't yield enough, they've been moved into the yeah. company sector and by and large, they haven't done as well. Um,
0: so uh, is that to do with dividends?
1: Yeah, it's, I think it's a combination of having a more sort of value approach um, mm. and uh and I think the, the the two are intertwined to some extent, um, in that um, you know some of the big yield, the high yielding stocks on the UK stock market are in those kind of more cyclical value type sectors. Um, so if you look at uh, you know a, a fund like Joe um, uh UK Equity Income, which was, you know you've you've written about and you've spoken to them, um, that's um, you know that's done really badly. Um, yeah. Due to um, you know, heavy investment in BP and Shell, um, in banks uh, and insurers, uh, obviously banks have canceled the dividends, um, some of of the insurers have as well. Um, uh, Depending on when this podcast gets published, we'll know a bit more maybe about uh, BP and Shell. Um, uh, you know, at the time we're talking now, that's that's really the, the the big question. So we've got trading statements from BP and Shell next week, and you know whether they are able to kind of commit to their dividends is is now much more of a question than it was because of the the, the crash in the oil price. Um, and just to underline that the importance of them, I mean, we've had banks deal hammer blow really to um, the di- dividend credentials of uh, the UK stock market, but. BP and Shell are even more important. Shell's been yeah. the biggest dividend player um, on the UK stock market for years. BP is now projected to be the the second biggest because HSBC now won't be paying. Um, they pay it's just under thirty percent of the projected uh, yield from the UK stock market. So if they don't, um, then you know the the, the UK kind of you know the UK stock market is uh, you know one of its sort of. Um, it's not a usp but it is a high yielding market compared to other stock markets around the world Um, and that's that's really coming under threat
0: so if if bp and shell do cut their dividend are we likely to see quite big market movement next week
1: uh i think there there would be um and that's because really the expectation is that they're not going to cut their dividend at the moment Um, yeah And I think you've probably seen that this week where, uh, you know, Monday and Tuesday, um, the oil price was just nosediving. thing. Shares in BP and Shell um, fell as well, but by nothing like as much as the the oil price. And I think that's probably because there's kind of some support to the shares from their their yield, which uh, investors and analysts really still think that they are going to pay. Um, You know, they think that, there, there are a lot of other things that both will do before they get to cutting their dividend. I mean, she Shanna, yeah. has been paying its dividend since World War Two, so it's obviously um, of huge it's, kind of significance
0: uh, if it does. not It's almost like a bellwether for the market in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and how, how have investors been reacting in this market? Do you think um, you, you deal a lot with your your audiences, kind of retail investors? But have you got any sense of whether they're withdrawing money, whether they're investing
1: more—I uh, mean, I think it's probably the way that we've all dealt with it. Um, if, if we are invested, um, uh, you know, uh, shock and horror at the beginning,
0: maybe a yeah. bit of relief now.
1: Uh, um, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, the, the the readers that we have on our site, um, you know, it's it's. Um, you know, they are very. Uh, a lot of them are very experienced um, and uh, know all the ins and outs of, um, you know, the positioning of the funds that they're investing in, the investment trusts uh, that, that, that that they've got. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I I I don't know, but I'd I'd hazard a guess that in terms of kind of knee jerk, I'm pulling out putting out the market because it's going down. That maybe you see, maybe you see sort of. Um, uh, elsewhere in the market. Maybe there's a bit less of it going on amongst our readers.
0: Did you make any changes uh, to mine? I didn't. No. Um, no, uh, and, and
1: I'm, and I'm glad I didn't, um, uh, because yeah. uh, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff that, that I've got has as, as, held up, held up, all right, certainly when you look at it now, maybe I wouldn't have been saying the same thing, uh, a month or so ago. Um, mm. but, uh, I think the other reason that I'm glad that I didn't do anything is that it was just really hard um, to do anything um, when stock markets were at their most volatile. Um, You just at the run, you run the risk of being whipsawed. um, Yeah. You know, because if, if stock markets are going up or down, you know, 9% in a day, uh, you really got to be quick on your feet. If you do see an opportunity um, to move out of one thing and into the other, uh, you know, without sort of missing out on something happening in between
0: yeah yeah that does seem to be the tricky thing nowadays with and particularly with trades happening so quickly mm. in the same area but maybe moving on to a wider picture looking at and um, the active passive debate is obviously mm-hmm. a big one and particularly with our our audience of advisors um i was wondering what kind of the bigger picture is at the moment in that uh, is is the because the impression seems to be that more people are turning to passive funds in general even ignoring the current crisis is is that something you think is happening when you look at the figures definitely
1: um so before i uh yeah before I started doing this podcast i kind of went through the figures just to make sure that my kind of off the top of my head understanding of this was actually backed up by real world reality um and yeah broadly the picture is uh, that um passives are most definitely on, on on the rise so if i just look at the figures from uh the investment association um uh, which uh, kind of compiles um, uh, the sort of buying and selling activity by u k re- retail investors, um, so passive fund sales overtook active ones for the first time in two thousand and sixteen um, They fell back the year after um, two thousand and eighteen uh, you had uh, nine billion uh, pounds going over it, going into passive funds. Um, mm. Uh, And in contrast, a a small outflow from active funds uh, of 1.3 billion, Uh, but last year really was, uh, you know, that's, that's the big one in terms of maybe the shifting dynamics between passive and active investing. Um, So you had 18.1 billion pounds going into passive funds and 3.1 billion leaving active funds. Wow. so passives make up uh, just under 18% of the market um, or they did at the end of uh, last year. But, you know, if, if the current trends uh, continue, then, then that's going to change um, fairly quickly.
0: Where, where does that lead in terms of, I was do, talking to some advisors the other day and there was talk of sort of an active passive tipping point. If there's you know, too many passive investors, does that suddenly leave active in a better or worse, worse place?
1: Uh, well, I mean, in terms of a tipping point, um, uh, so in the US, there's, there's more, um, the passive market is bigger than it is here. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, in terms of kind of its proportion, obviously, it's bigger in terms of uh, absolute numbers. Yes. Um, uh, so uh, it made a, passive made up about 36% um, at the uh, end of 2018. Um, and um, so you have ratings agency Moody's, that's predicting that it's going to, overt- passes will overtake actors in the US next year um crosswaters cooper says 2025 um so i guess that's that's the next sort of big tipping point well that's that's the tipping point really mm. for passive investment um you know the the biggest once the biggest investment market in the world um well and and the biggest economy in the world um you know favors passives over actives then that's that's going to be a hugely significant
0: moment um it does seem that it's less it doesn't have quite the same traction in the uk at the moment uh, would, would that be fair
1: i think it does it's just it's it's um you know it's, it's a bit sort of earlier on in in, in the curve mm. um, but um you know all you need to do is well it's just basic maths isn't it if <laughs> certainly if you look at the last two years money's leaving active funds and money's going into passive funds uh, the amount of money that's going into passive funds is accelerating. The amount of money leaving active funds is accelerating. So, uh, you know, you put those two things together and, and that, you know, we may be, it may take a longer time, but if the current trends continue, then passives will will, will overtake actives. Um, I guess one thing that's been notable, particularly very recently, um, and as recently as, you know, if you just look at what happened in March, uh, passives are notably stickier as well uh, when you have these kind of really volatile stock markets. So we had the record amount of money leaving uh, UK-based funds uh, in March, uh, £8.7 billion, according to Morningstar's estimates. Um, and if you look at uh, equity funds uh, in particular, I'll just bring up the figures. Um, so uh, passive funds, £3.1 billion inflows in mm. March, in that horrendous month um, for stock markets um, and 3.9 billion leaving active funds. Um, Wow. Uh, So and and, and the reason for that is probably because, um, you know, where you have those sort of regular monthly savings that are set up um, and are much stickier than, you know, individual decisions to buy into or out of a a fund, um, they're becoming um, much more prevalent for passive funds and maybe they are holding up the active uh, market a, a, a bit less.
0: So, so it's about kind of how these, almost how the investors almost engaged with the fund, I guess? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that, that's a part of it. Um, I think in terms of you know, where, where money is leaving active funds, because um, I guess the danger with this is just that you look at it in, purely in headline terms, um, active mm. versus passive. Uh, but actually, if you look at kind of the the, the individual sort of fund and sector stories um, in, in, in active, you can kind of build a, a better idea of, of why it's happening. Um, so I guess, you know, the areas that I'd highlight would be, um, uh, you know, UK funds, as in not just based in the UK, but investing in the UK. So they make up, um, you know, a pretty big proportion of uh, the active fund market here. Um, you just have to look at which investment association sectors have got the most funds in them. Uh, And uh, UK equity income, UK oil companies, they're, they're big sectors and they're both, you know, sectors that, that haven't done that well recently. Um, uh, And, you know, Brexit uh, and sort of Brexit uncertainty has been, you know, a large part of that. Um, The UK stock market has been shunned really by uh, overseas investors um, ever since uh, the Brexit vote in 2016, um, and you know, hasn't done as well as uh, overseas stock markets. Um, you know, and there was maybe, uh, you know, with the sort of fairly um, definitive election result at the end of last year, there was maybe sort of signs of that of that shifting. Um, but then that's just been dealt a hammer blow by what we've seen in the in the markets um, since coronavirus, which has hit yeah. the UK stock market proportionally more than the, the, than others.
0: So is um, Is there a danger that the u k will be hit quite hard um both as a result you know obviously everyone's been hit hard by the coronavirus, but then suddenly we have we still have brexit on the cards uh government's still pushing ahead with the end of 2020
1: yeah I mean in terms of the stock market reaction that's probably more to do with the fact that the u k stock market is a particularly cyclical one that mm. has a lot of commodities in it so it's got a lot of miners and it, you know it's got BP and Shell taking up quite a large chunk of the index um so you know when you look at the FTSE 100 versus um you know i don't know versus the S&P 500 or um other european markets um you know it might look like the uk as an as an economy um is going to do worse than others uh but i don't think the stock markets actually saying that it's saying that you know miners and oil companies are going to do worse um uh but i guess uh, in terms of um uh in terms of the particulars of, of, of active funds that are, that are leading to those outflows. Um, uh, you know, if you if you then sort of look at um, if you dig into the, the particulars of of those sectors that have had big big outflows. I mean, uh, you know, amongst kind of UK funds with an equity income strategy, um, you know, the obvious one to look at is is, is Woodford. Um, uh, you know, that that had huge outflows. Um, you know, in, in the months that led up to its suspension last summer. And um, uh, Invesco, as well, the funds that he used to run at Invesco, Invesco High Income and, and Income, giant funds um, when they transferred from uh, Neil Woodford to, to Mark Barnett um, yeah. to over five years ago. Not so giant now, still big, but a lot of, a lot of money has, has left those funds as performance has, has deteriorated.
0: Yes, I wanted to quickly ask you um, a little bit about Woodford because obviously you did a lot of the reporting um, on that and revealing some of the issues with the fund and liquidity within it, Um, but just kind of broadly at first, do you think that the collapse of those funds and the way they were managed has had a knock-on effect on confidence in active management?
1: Yeah I think for sure, I mean um, you know there's lots of what went on with the Woodford funds that were very particular to those funds Um, so uh, you know, unquoted investment. Um, not that many funds do that, uh, and uh, for obvious reasons. In the yeah. you know, if you if you have unquoted companies uh, in a fund that's offering sort of daily, um, you know, that you're allowed to buy and sell daily, um, then 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 you can run into into difficulties if everyone's trying to leave at the same time, which is exactly what happened with with, with the Woodford funds. Um, uh, but you know, not, notwithstanding that, I think you know. If you see, you know, if you see a fund manager in the headlines, that's in the headlines for the wrong reasons, it's going to turn you against, you know, for some people, it will just turn them against fund managers generally. Um, and so, yeah. you know, if you look at, you know, passives, um, I mean, they don't have a fund manager <laughs> in the same sense; they don't have someone who, who can do, um, you know, something like what happened with with, with the Woodford funds. Um, uh, uh, so i think that yeah that's definitely been a factor do
0: you think the a lot of the issues that have been raised by that whole um saga have been dealt with the stuff like liquidity is the fca actually knocking, cracking down on that and is um our fund managers ensuring that that's part of their their risk you know, profiling i guess
1: i think there's definitely going to be more focus on it now how how couldn't there be really yeah um given what happened, Um, you know, a comparison to make is between uh, Woodford's fund and his old funds, um, Invesco High Income and Income, um, because they, you know, they've got unquoted companies too, um, uh, you know, and and some of those are a legacy of um, Woodford's management of them. yeah, you know, albeit um, you know, the proportion uh, of those funds that are invested in, in unquoted companies is, is is less than what Woodford had. Um, mm. You know, by the time that Woodford's fund was suspended, it essentially had twice the amount that you're normally allowed to hold in unquoted companies, um, and it did that by listing some of them in in, um, in the Channel Islands on on Guernsey's stock exchange. Um, so, Invesco hasn't had to do that uh, because It doesn't have as much. Um, uh, But, you know, so we had um, a couple of weeks ago, um, those uh, unquoted companies were written down by 60%. um, And Mark Barnett said that he wanted to sell them. Now, before that write down happened, um, the positions were, they were approaching that 10% limit that's because um it's not because those unquoted companies have done really well it's because everything else in the fund had done badly um, that's you know it's, it's because the the listed portion of the fund uh, had been declining um largely down to the poor performance of, of the stocks but also because people had been pulling money out of the fund and so it, it's just math that you know that the the unchecked that fund just becomes bigger
0: what what do you see then as the sort of the long-term picture for active management um we we, we spoke briefly about how passives there there seems to be a tipping point where passive investing will probably overtake it are active managers going to die out or is there still going to be a space for them are they going to have to think about new ways of managing money
1: yeah well i guess um you know one of the trends in active management is really for the the big popular funds just getting bigger and bigger yeah. um, uh, so fundsmith is the obvious kind of example here where um okay it's not quite as big as it was a couple of months ago because of um what's happened in the markets um uh but it's it's over sixteen billion pounds um and it's you know just been consistently consistently growing um it had outflows in March, but that was. I think the eighth month of outflows in the fund's entire lifetime.
0: Um, yeah, that's quite aggressive. Yeah,
1: it's been around more than a decade. Um, so, uh, and, and, and that's been driven by performance, really. Um, uh, and if you look at the areas of the kind of active management world, certainly in the equity kind of space, um, you know, investing in shares that, are, that have done well, it's... Um, you Know that kind of concentrated approach. Um, so you know, Terry Smith has less than 30 stocks in his fund. Um, Nick Train, um, who has a similar sort of investment kind of strategy, does um, uh, uh you know, he has less than 30 um, in both the uh, Lindsay Train Global Fund that he runs with uh, Michael Lindsay and James Bullock and the UK equity fund that he runs by himself. Um, and those you know, those funds have done well by backing the areas of the stock market that have done really well. So technology yeah. and, and, and
0: consumer staples. Um, so do you think by focusing on less than 30, they're, 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 they're able to, does that give them an advantage basically? Or is it really just they invest in the right, right 30 stocks?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you invest in the wrong 30 stocks, then you do
0: payback. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly. laughs>
1: but, uh, but yeah, I mean, because if you, certainly if you're looking at the stock market globally, you know, one of the issues for for active managers is how do you how do you outperform this rampant US stock market? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, and that's I think that's probably sort of part of um That's, that's helped passive funds enormously uh, because, you know, if you've got a global tracker, so it's tracking the MSCI World Index, um, you know, the US stock market makes up uh, pretty much two thirds of that index. And the U S stock market has performed incredibly well. Um, you know, certainly over the last decade, um, uh, so, you know, to, to an extent you think, well, why, you know, why complicate that? If I'm doing, if all I need to do is buy a global tracker and it does really well, um, why would you look elsewhere? Um, yeah. so, uh, and, you know, I, I guess, I, I, I am definitely biased towards looking at, um, uh, um, Sort of the stock market and funds investing in shares but if we are just looking at that area then um, to beat that you need to focus your fund and it needs to be focused on the right areas um, and if you look at the two you know if you look at some of the biggest um, funds in, in the UK market they've done uh, exactly that and if you look at what's happened uh, as stock markets have crashed with the coronavirus pandemic, they've held up better. And they've held up better than um, than the broader market. They've held up better than than passives. Yeah. So uh, certainly at the moment, in terms of the trends, you'd say, well, those funds that have done well and those funds that have had money coming in are going to continue to do so. And those funds that have done badly and found themselves on the opposite sort of ends or, or, or the wrong end of, of stock markets... Um, are gonna to continue to struggle because that disparity has just been exacerbated by um, the, the the big fall in markets as a result of coronavirus.
0: Do you think there's any kind of, there seems to me to be a little bit of a movement towards managers? I don't know if it's a panic move or if it's actually well thought out, but using kind of alternative ways of selling their expertise. So you see it with stuff like ESG and sustainable, funds being promoted quite heavily now but i also think you know you see even ideas you know, going back a bit but absolute return funds and uh, multi-asset do you think that's something active managers will try and move into more to try and say look we're doing something a bit different here for your money
1: yeah and and to be to to just to caveat all this that's an area of the market that i don't look at as much um yeah mainly because uh you know amongst our readers they're they they do not go in for it as much um uh and I'd say that you know that's, that's certainly something that's much more popular in the the kind of financial advisor and wealth manager sort of space. Um, but uh, yeah, if you look at what passives are able to offer you uh, in terms of like a one-stop shop you know covering everything that you need, uh, you know not just shares but um, but other stuff, it's yeah, it's not as sophisticated uh, or certainly the you know the, the big kind of offerings, and I guess I'd think of you know like Vanguard last yeah, strategy that's the
0: um, big one
1: yeah then it's it shares and bonds um and you know i'm i you know i'm not saying that, that that that's bad at all um uh but if you do want something more sophisticated um you know if you want to have um alternatives in there, property something like that um then you know active uh, does offer you more um options kind of on on that front um I mean, I guess the counterpoint to that is, you know, uh, the more sophisticated you get and, you know, you mentioned absolute return funds. Um, they haven't, you know, as, as, as a bunch, they haven't done that well. Um, so it, you know, it, it, it may be that some investors just think, well, actually, shares and bonds will be enough.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much, Dan. That was really interesting. Thank you for listening to the New Model Advisor podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like and subscribe.